Like maybe Ben's video cuts out and we're like, what happened to him? We don't know. You are in a maze of twisty little passages, all alike. Time to start a fire, crack open a can of tab, and settle in for Founder Quest. What's on your wall behind you? You've got like a, a autographed jersey? Yeah. Like a hockey jersey? I'm a, I'm a soccer fan. So it's a, port oh, a soccer jersey. It's the Portland sorry. Timbers, yes. The Timbers, yeah. And it's not looking good for us playing in 2020. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it looking good for anybody? Uh, some people more than others, but yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be cool to make it to one of those games. I've never been. I've I've never been to any like sporting event in Portland. You know, well, like, well, I'm a season ticket holder. So, Josh, if you ever oh. want to to come on down and and we can go to a game together, I'm I'm in. That'd be awesome. Oh my gosh, this is great. I'm glad we're recording this. This is like networking. This is like stuff happening. This is like deals <laughs> happening. This is. This is when we can actually like see when people are like seeing each other when going to events. When you invite guests onto your show, magic happens. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, Ben and I have been talking about snowboarding too someday. And, uh, Mike and I have been talking about snowboarding as well. So that's another networking opportunity maybe for next winter. Yeah. In fact, I had a pass to Meadows and they said that they're closed down, so you can't use the pass. And so people were kind of freaking out. Yeah. So they, they didn't refund anything, did they? They say that you can use your punches in the first three weeks of next season. First three weeks. Yeah. That sounds kind of bogus. I mean, that's like if it doesn't snow, well, you're out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, it sounds a lot like the airline's policy of giving you credit rather than a, 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 a refund. By the way, the season is starting three weeks early. <laughs> <laughs> season starts in August. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of a tweet that I saw this week, I think it was. And someone was, they tweeted a picture of themselves on an airplane and the airplane was full. Oh, I, I saw that one. Three were they like in the middle seat or something or I, I don't, I don't remember, yeah. but, but they were on a United flight and I'm thinking, what do you expect? Like it's United. <laughs> of course, they're gonna, you're going to have every seat full on a United yeah. flight. They're not going to be, they're not going to care about coronavirus. Okay. So I feel like I should do like a record scratch now and we should stop and actually say to our loyal, our loyal listeners, I'm sure you're thinking, well, what's going on? There seems to be like one more person. And that's because there is, um, we have a special guest today. Mike Purim. And if you don't know Mike, he is very well known in the open source community for such projects as Sidekick and Factory. And yeah, did I get, is, are there any other projects? No, that's about it. <laughs> that's I've, about I've it. only got so many hours in the day, Star. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the matter? I thought you hustled. I thought you knew how oh, to you were hustle. a hustler. <laughs> I'm getting old. In my old age, I'm getting old. So I'm slowing down. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. What yeah. is Sidekick anyway, Mike? Sidekick is the number one universal way of doing background jobs on Ruby, except no competition. <laughs> yeah, there so you go. Nice. and then fact, and then Factory is taking my my background job knowledge and patterns and bringing it to every programming language. So you can use Factory with JavaScript, with Python, PHP, Elixir, those those sorts of languages. That's and naturally, cool. we're big fans of Sidekick here at Honey Badger. We use it quite yes. a lot. Honey, yeah, got, Sidekick you, since the beginning. Y'all were, yeah, one of my, one of my first pro customers along with mm-hmm. uh, Travis CI was also a very early pro customer. Oh, so thank nice. you very much. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike is a 
Mike knows a lot about sort of making a living from open source. And so we're having him on to talk about that, about sort of little sort of bootstrap life, you know, because he's a fellow bootstrapper and um, sort of, I don't know, we've kind of palled around with, uh, with Mike throughout the history of our company. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we're just going to have kind of an open discussion, but vaguely, generally kind of centered around, you know, open sourcey, bootstrappy stuff. And we're also, so I, we're also just uh, all losing our minds being stuck at home. And, and it's nice to see another uh, human face or, or three of them. Yeah, I, I, the listeners probably don't know, but I generally go up to Honey Badger HQ, well, in Vancouver, um, mm-hmm. Uh, like once a quarter, once a quarter so, or so, I'll go yeah. up there and have lunch with you guys. So since we're about twenty miles apart, I'll generally go up there and say hi and and uh, hang out with the gang and uh, mm-hmm. have lunch together. But we had to cancel our last meeting because it it happened right as the virus was picking up. Yeah, yeah. This was so all. No this one, was pre-virus life, right? So uh, yeah. this is. It's good to catch up <laughs> uh, remotely. So yeah. Mike, I'm sure the I'm sure the question that all of our listeners are wanting to like have answered is like how do you manage to create an open source project that will like that basically is like a, a required piece of infrastructure for every like Rails project and then monetize that? Well, you start off by scratching your own itch, so to speak. And then it turns out everybody in the Ruby world has that exact same itch. Oh, okay. Okay. That sounds easy. I should do that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in sort of eating your own dog food is the common expression, but you know, you solve your own problem first. And if that problem and your solution deliver a lot of value and you can productize it, then boom, all of a sudden you've got something which could potentially have some income around it. And, you know, of course, Heya is your, your guys' latest thing. You know, the opportunities there for people to solve their own problem. And if they think outside the box and, and want to make it a more of a sustainable long-term thing, they can build a business around it. And that's, that's exactly what I did with Sidekick when I started it. I said to myself, this is going to be popular if I do it well, and it's going to require a lot of my time to support people. And so I, mm-hmm. I almost immediately started doing sort of financial experiments around how can I make money off of this thing so that I can you know, money, I still believe money is the best way to incentivize people to do something. So if you, if, if I'm, if this is my full-time job, then I'm going to do it and I'm going to support people. So can we just rewind just a little bit? Cause I want to talk about that scratching our itch thing. I want, I want you to talk about like, you know, cause, cause yours wasn't the, the first background job system that came out for the Ruby world, right? There was at the time there was delayed job and there was rescue. Those were, I think were the popular <clears throat> ones at the time. So can you tell, tell us about like, what prompted you to say, you know what, I got to build Sidekick? Yeah. So the, the, I think the, the major thing that Sidekick brought to bear in the Ruby world was multi-threading. There was no piece of Ruby infrastructure before Sidekick that was multi-threaded. If you think back, you had Mongrel, you had Unicorn, you had Delayed Job, you had Rescue. All these things are single-threaded processes. And so when I started Sidekick, I wanted to get the memory benefits of running multi-threaded. So instead of running 10 gigabit, gigabyte processes, you could just run one, two gigabyte process and, and save all that RAM. And so the caveat here is, of course, your code needs to be thread safe. And when Sidekick started, there were a fair number of gems and application code that was not thread safe. And so Sidekick started from a place of, if you have a Greenfield app and you're just starting out, 
you can make your code thread safe, you can use Sidekick, and you'll, it'll work a lot faster than the existing solutions. And so for the first six months to a year of Sidekick's history, the Ruby community had to step up and fix those thread safety bugs in gem, gems that, that were uh, you know, very popular. There was a, a number of thread mm-hmm. safety bugs that I, that I recall and I think like was common in like Rails, like Rails gems even, right? Like, um, oh, yeah. I remember going I, through that even when we first started using like Sidekick and some of the other like multi-threaded Ruby servers and stuff. Like, yeah, I, I remember very well a, uh, a thread safety issue in Rails 3.2, yeah. um, which caused us to have to upgrade the point release from like 3.2.2 to 3.2.5 or something like that because Active Record had a thread safety issue. Since Rails 4, the thread safety of the entire ecosystem has been really good. And it's because of Sidekick and Passenger and Puma bringing threads to ev- everywhere. Almost every gym these days is, is, is safe to use. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my, like my understanding, like the real sort of benefit that people got from switching to Sidekick was that like in the old way of doing things, um, like you mentioned, everything was sort of single threaded. And that meant that like you ended up you would use up the RAM in your server a lot quicker than you would use up the CPU. So the RAM became this limiting factor. And so what you let people do is actually use the CPUs that they're already paying for more and sort of basically use the whole computer more efficiently and get more work done with fewer computers. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little more complex than that. But uh, if, you, if you remember, a Ruby process can only use one core. So what it turns out is if you're single threaded, you may only be using 10% of that core. And so if you fire up four Ruby processes, you may be using all four cores, but you're only using 10% of each core. So by, okay. by using threads and multiple processes, you can both use all of one core and then use all four, use 100% of all four of those cores. So you kind of okay, need, so need to mix and match threads and processes. You need to mix to, and match. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, so the, the threads are useful for things where it's like you might do like a like a call to the database that has to wait or something. So, you know, mm-hmm. then your other threads can be doing work while that one's waiting. Exactly. Yep. IO concurrency. Okay. Yep. Think IO. Yeah. The thing I like about uh, how you got started is, you know, sometimes people will say they'll poo-poo on the idea that you should rebuild something like, oh, you know, you don't have to reinvent that wheel, right? It's already been done. Just use what's out there. And uh, I think the thing that I like about what you've done is you saw a problem and you could have said, well, it, it's fine. Like I'll just deal. Right. But in, instead you're like, no, this is something that should be fixed. You know, this is something that's wrong in the world and uh, I, I'm the one that can fix it. So I just, I like the taking the initiative and, and, and striking out and doing that. Yeah. I, I saw a, a dramatic inefficiency and wherever you see dramatic mm-hmm. inefficiency, there is possibility for you to charge money. Cause if I can sell someone on a thousand piece, a thousand dollar piece of software that will save them $10,000 a year, that's a no brainer. I mean, the, that thing sells itself. And that's mm-hmm. exactly kind of what Sidekick brought to the table is, is you know, by, by moving from delayed job or rescue to Sidekick, you know, you could cut your cost by 10x. Yeah. Yeah, it's a compelling argument. Here's, here's a question. In the beginning, how long, like how much work did you put into Sidekick before you realized like this is financially viable, like this is something that is going to be big, like widespread? I mean, almost immediately when I started Sidekick, I had three kind of dreams or goals for the project that I never articulated publicly. My first goal was to make a million dollars off of the life of the project. 
my second goal was to get one of the big three Ruby companies as a customer. So you had GitHub, you had Basecamp, and who was the third one? Uh, maybe Shopify or New Relic, one of those two. But I think I have three of those four now as customers. I think I think um, it was I think the third was Honey Badger. Um, if I recall. <laughs> uh, let's call, let's put you in the big five. Let's call it. You're you're the fifth. All right, I'll I'll take I'll take that. But so yeah, you so have you have three I mean, you have two you said two of those three as customers or I have three of those four three of those nice yeah, yeah. that yeah. makes me wonder does Sidekick predate Honey Badger I seem to remember like didn't we use it from the beginning yeah or did we use something else yeah I I started Sidekick yeah. in in February twelve yeah so we yeah, our, so. our first period in May of twelve so yeah we started with Sidekick. Yeah. Wasn't there some uh, queue system that stored the jobs in Postgres or something? Yeah. There, there's a number of job systems that use all sorts mm -hmm. of no, I, I, stores, but there's queue and I just meant, queue didn't, classic. Uh, yeah, like didn't we use that in Honey Badger at some we did. point? Yep. At the very beginning, we used uh, the, oh, I can't remember if it was queue, but yeah, it was definitely one of the Postgres based ones until we got to the point that that couldn't keep up with our traffic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had I had done enough work with delayed job and rescue before that point that I knew I didn't deal with any one of those. <laughs> so it was, it was an easy choice. Yeah, and it took me about, um, I'd say, 10 months, nine months before I launched the pro version. Okay. Um, but I knew almost within a month or two of starting the project that I wanted to have uh, some sort of commercial uh, variant. Yeah. That, was my, that was my second financial experiment was I was selling licenses. Those weren't selling very well. So I mm -hmm. said, I'm going to, uh, maybe the open core model will we'll do the trick. And, sure. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. That's so you did, you did try selling licenses in the beginning before yeah. open sourcing. Is that, yeah, is that right? I, okay. I, yeah. I decided to, I bought, cause uh, Sidekick is LGPL mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, maybe there's some, some companies that want to avoid uh, the GNU license licenses. And so I, I, I sold a commercial license. But that kind of legalese doesn't sell very well. You know, a developer doesn't care. And, and the developer yeah. is the one who's, who's actually making the choice to upgrade because Sidekick mm -hmm. ultimately is a developer tool. Yeah. And you, so, want, you want like a feature or something. Bingo. So the, the, the pro version, is that the same license then? Or is that a com custom commercial license? It comes with a commercial license as one of its, you know, features that features. it offers. Yeah. yeah. As you've had bigger and bigger companies, you know, as you've been doing this for a number of years now, uh, have you seen a difference in the licensing concern? Like uh, you said that, you know, developers aren't, don't care. They just want the features. But have you seen as you've had bigger buyers come in, are they more interested in that aspect as well? Not per se. They never necessarily articulate that they're specifically buying due to the commercial license. But I do get a, a small subset of my customers that have a whole legal team that go over the commercial license with a fine tooth comb. And they usually, they usually highlight the same one or two issues every time. And so yeah. my mantra is I'm willing to give you custom terms if you're willing to pay for them. And so mm -hmm. like any feature, I just make the customer pay. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things that, that Patrick McKenzie goes on about is, uh, you know, if someone wants something that you don't offer, and you're, you're willing to offer it at some price point, well, then you say, okay, yeah, I can do that for you. And here's the price point at which I'm willing to do that. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It really works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and wait, a, a, a custom, custom license terms has, has probably made me, probably makes me five figures a year, which certainly keeps my lawyer fed and um, adds a little <laughs> bit of lift to me. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a huge source of income, but it's nice. Yeah. I'm curious, like what, ha have we ever done that i know we've offered it several times but have we ever actually done it yes yep 
we've had customers who have come to us and want a custom agreement. And, uh, and that's when I take the conversation and I'm like, sure, we can do a custom agreement, send it over. And then I'll let you know what the price will be. And yeah, yeah we've pricing. had, we've had a few take us up on that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah. I remember, you know, back when I launched rails kits back in the day, I guess that was what, 2008, 2009 time period. A lot of people thought, well, you can't make money selling code because like developers don't buy things. And uh, all you have to do <laughs> is actually try to sell something and you'll find that's quickly false, right? That, that yeah. It doesn't take much time to sell a developer something if you can show them that it does save them time, saves them effort, saves them resources like, like you discovered. Mm -hmm. So that's there, still something a people say, like I've been hearing people say that, like there's been arguments on Twitter about that, like over the last couple of years too, like I don't, that's not going away. Yeah. Like people, people think oh, really? that like, developers won't buy things. And that's like, we buy like everything. We just don't buy, we just don't buy dumb things. <laughs> <laughs> how much, I mean, maybe how much professional that, developers buy things? How much did that laptop cost them? <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a, there's a certain set of people that are only developers or only engineers. And those are the people who say, yeah, I don't buy anything. Well, because they have the skills to, to build it. But there's also a huge set of entrepreneurs who are also a little technical. And you'd be surprised at the number of these people that run their own small business and they write the code and they're not, they're not great at it. Like they're not super, they're not rockstar developers, but they cobble it together and they have specific niche or vertical information or connections to where they make a living off of this business. You know, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of one of my customers who has a business selling car fit information to people mm -hmm. that sell parts on eBay. So like if you have an air hose, you use his service to determine like which cars this air hose will fit on so that you can put it in your eBay description. Oh, that's, and, and this, that's amazing. That's this may only cost, a, this may only cost a penny, <laughs> but it, he scales it to millions of parts on eBay. And so he can make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year by selling, you know, a penny per posting or whatever, and I'll give you car fit uh, specs. And it's, it's one of these things where he just scrapes all this data. And, and I, don't, I don't know that his, his business is more than him and maybe one or two other people. He's been using Sidekick Enterprise for years, and he just emails me once or twice a year with a particular problem he may be having. But you know, the, the world is full of these entrepreneurs who who could use professional tools, which help them and provide additional features, which then they don't have to cobble together, and that's that's valuable to them. When you when you say Sidekick and and web scraping, I can just like picture his error dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he may be a honey. Badger. He may be a honey badger customer, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, anytime right. someone says, well, you know, what kind of error service should I be using?" I say, "Well, something like Honey Badger, right?" Yeah. Maybe we're getting one tenth of every one of those pennies that he's making. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I had some sort of referral code I could give people. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, it's, yeah, we actually do have. We, we uh, might have to get you one. You. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like that scene in the matrix where the guy's looking at all this sort of these green numbers scrolling on the screen. He's like, you just see some numbers. I see like brunette, blonde. So it's like, like normal people might just see a bunch of errors, but like Josh is like, this guy's selling part fit information. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. No, it doesn't go, it doesn't go that direction. It's only I, you can tell me about the business and then I can picture the errors that it's generating. I can't, I can't like infer the business from the errors. It's just the errors from the business. Oh, yeah. now let me, let me toss a question back to y'all. 
what were the discussions like when you were first starting Honey Badger around funding and which direction you wanted to go in terms of the business? You know, with regard to like bootstrapping versus VC mm-hmm. versus taking investors, question. that sort of thing. Tell me, to give me an ins- give me some insight into those conversations. I was not there at, at the very like- beginning, but I don't. I like in the first couple of months. I think it was just the two of you talking about that stuff. But I don't recall us ever talking about like going out and and like securing major funding. Did did that discussion happen? That discussion did yeah. happen. Yeah. Didn't we like think about applying to Techstars or something like that? Oh, yeah. wait, I, I mm-hmm. kind of vaguely remember that. Yeah, Star, Star and I definitely had some discussions around that yeah. at the beginning. And we were, we were firmly, I think part of our eventual decision, which, you know, spoiler alert, was to not take any money and not do the incubator thing. But a That's, big part yeah. of that came from being freelancers before we started Honey Badger. We were used to being in control and, you know, doing our own thing and not having a boss per se and Mm -hmm. frankly we when we thought about it it's like well if you take someone's money now they're calling the shots you know they'll they'll say that they're not but really i mean and maybe you have some of course you have some you know opening to do what you want but within bounds that your investor sets because there's an expectation once Mm -hmm. once they give you money now you have an obligation to try to return that money and then some right and so you, you basically have to do things that they think will help bring that money back. And so we just decided no, that's not the business we want to be in. We want to do our own thing. I totally forgot you- about the tech stars thing, but I remember that now. And I remember like not being super stoked about it either, because I think I, I was going to have to move to Seattle or something. Cause it was in, it was in Seattle. Right. Yeah. And, oh, that's and right, I was yeah. in the Portland area and I was like, I don't want to like go to Seattle. <laughs> yeah. Well, that like, I just want to make, I just want to like start something from here. <laughs> I had totally forgotten about the tech star thing, but um, that was actually a separate conversation from mm-hmm. the, do we take money? Cause okay. the do we take money thing came up first and then the incubation thing came up later and with, you know, within a few months. But mm-hmm. I remember now, now that stars are money <laughs> that um, like we, we thought about it because we could use the mentoring, right. And we could use the resources and we didn't really need the money per se, but uh, sure. We'll take some money. But the thing that really convinced us not to do it, as I recall, was that uh, we came to the conclusion that if you sign up for an incubator, what you're signing up for is the rest of the VC track. Like mm-hmm. the incubator will fund you and expect you to take on additional rounds of funding. And then you're, you're basically on this path and you can't get off that path without the business going to zero or, you know, hitting the home run and going home basically. So, and we thought, you know what, that's, that's not the path that we want to be on. So there's no point even starting down that path. Yeah, like with with that path, there's really no option of just like making some money and having a business that's, you know, grows and is nice. Yeah. And also just like, I don't know, honey badgers are just too, like you can't housebreak a honey badger, right? <laughs> like they're feral. You, you can't, you can't do any of that. Staying on the brand store. We, I love we it. probably would have been the odd ducks in, <laughs> on, on the, uh, the pitch. What do they call the, the pitch week, week or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Shark week. Yeah. <laughs> we, I think it's interesting though, today the calculus has changed a little bit. There's still that option. You can still do the incubation VC route. You can still do the bootstrap option where you just do it all yourself. But now there's also a middle ground that didn't exist when we started. So now there's places like Tiny Seed or Earnest Capital. And I think there are a couple others that yeah. are more geared towards helping a bootstrapper kind of founder or founders get started with a little bit of capital 
without the expectation that you're going to, you know, reach for the stars and that you have to have this 10x return. Yeah. I think they're a more sustainable option. So if we had, would have had that option back then, I think we would have seriously considered that because that's, I think that's pretty attractive. Yeah. It, it almost makes you wonder why, you know, small business loans from banks aren't as big as they were in the past. I mean, why do, why do investors and funds need to step up to do this kind of stuff? Why aren't, why aren't banks just, you know, giving small loans for businesses to start in their, in their area? Um, yeah. Maybe it's the rise of the nationwide bank everywhere where, you know, small banks just aren't around as much anymore. And so they don't have as much skin in the local game, so to speak. I think also because it's hard, well, at least, you know, 10 years ago, it's hard for a, an individual at a bank to wrap their brain around the idea of you build this online business you have no assets, you have really no expectation of, there's no pro forma that you can do that says, oh yes, by year three, we'll be making this kind of money based on the comparables of like a hot dog stands, right? Good point. Just, I think. Yeah, kind of, there, there was kind of this uh, shift in around the, the turn of the century where, uh, you know, businesses are starting to get more and more online and it's a whole wild west out here, I guess, <laughs> which right. I mean, speaks yeah. to our businesses, right? I mean, our businesses are not anything like what my grandfather knew, you know? So, uh, so yeah, that, that's a good point, Ben. I wonder, I wonder if like the whole, like the bank loan or, or more like traditional capital thing could come back around, like as that becomes more normalized, like it becomes easier to prove like a market online versus cause like back then, like you, you can't like go walk around the neighborhood and like get the demographics and stuff and give that to the bank. But these days it's, Techniques are being developed for that sort of thing to prove markets. Um, yeah, I mean the problem. Well, the problem with an online business is by by virtue of it being online, there is no locality to it, right? Right. You're you're not selling. You're not opening up a, <laughs> a small dry goods store to sell yeah. to the there, there is no people around you. <laughs> there is no street traffic. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> or, or foot traffic or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of different because I imagine like in the the fifties, which is when I imagine all this stuff happening. Like a bank could be like, okay, you're going to open a laundromat. Okay, there's no laundromats in this area. Okay, we're going to open our book to the, tape, to the, the page for L. And we're going to look up laundromats and see all the, the facts and figures for how much they make. Here you go. Here's some money. But now it's kind of like winner take all. So it's like, yeah, a little bit. Like, oh, you're going to start like your neighborhood Twitter. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah, it's like, how do you, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, it's, they're not replicable. Like every success is sort of a success in its own weird way. Well, speaking of uniqueness, so I have a question for you, Mike, and that is, you know, you're a solo business, you're a solo owner, founder. Single threaded, if you will. You are single threaded. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure- That's a deep irony. I, that cut, that must cut deep. That is harsh, oh Josh. Uh, not to cut Ben off too much, but the flip side of that is that you're also multi-threaded and distributed in your open source model. So you have many hands helping you. That's true. That is true. So Wait, my, is Mike like the hypervisor then? Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, totally. He, he, I'm he lost in this analogy. <laughs> um, so, my, so my question, I'm sure you've had the conversation with some of your customers where they come to you and say, okay, but what happens if Mike gets hit by a bus? Like, uh, you're just one person. Like, what, what's our insurance policy? So how do, how do you have, what kind of conversations do you have around that? Because that, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like, if I'm thinking about starting something today, and I might, I might have to think about, okay, well then how do I answer that question to someone who comes to me and says, what are you going to do if you're the only person in the business? Yeah. 
So I've um, talked to my wife about this. Of course, this doesn't solve the problem of what happens if a meteorite hits my house and destroys the entire family, but let's not get too bleak. All right. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, if I continuity and sustainability long term is, is something that I've been thinking about more and more. I've told my wife to contact Evan Phoenix and, and some other luminaries in the Ruby community that would probably be uh, well positioned to take over mm -hmm. um, support and long term maintenance. So, so there's that. Um, we've also discussed briefly uh, setting up maybe a foundation, a nonprofit to run Sidekick um, if necessary, sort of like Ruby Together. Uh, in fact, that was another thing I suggested is, is, is she, could, she could possibly uh, talk with the Ruby Together folks about bringing Sidekick under their umbrella also. There's a couple options. You know, money makes everything more complex and a little more difficult, but... Um, but yeah, I, I want to do the right thing for the community, and I certainly don't want to leave the community in a lurch if I uh, if I disappear. So um, that is that is something I'm thinking about, and and something we I do need to work out. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's a little different, like when you have an open source project versus like a software as a service or or close closed source business, because like there is there is a community around it, and like a lot of the source code is already already out there that people are working on and maintaining. So it seems in that sense, like it's a, it's a little bit better of a model for like a solo person to be pursuing. And I try to keep my business as open as possible. I, I try yeah. to do as much support through GitHub issues so that there is a search history and people can go through and, and, and look for solutions for issues mm -hmm. that they may, be, may also be having. I hate private email support just because it locks away information into yeah. you know, my, my inbox and another person's inbox. Well, and you probably get more emails then too, because people can't just go search for that the too. answer. Yeah. yeah. And if I disappear for a day, I'm on vacation and away from my phone or computer. If someone opens mm -hmm. an issue, then another community member could possibly answer their question or, or give them advice. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I try to direct people to GitHub so that uh, if they want to guarantee a response as fast as possible, uh, that's still the best option. Do you just put your, do you put the link to your GitHub wiki and your autoresponder? You're like your vacation <laughs> autoresponder? <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised at the number of responses that I give that are just links to wiki. <laughs> yeah. Area, areas of the wiki. Oh, have you mm -hmm. read this paragraph? Because it answers your question precisely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah us too. Thing. We've, we have a, yeah, we've talked about that. It's like, yeah. Just, yeah. I, I try to I be always kind feel about weird it, about that. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'm never sure. Like, am I being rude? Like, yeah. how like how much fluff do I need to put around this to make it polite? Yeah, and that's that's a common sentiment for myself too. Is I don't want to be too. I mean, what glib? What's uh, is that? A, is that the right word? I don't want to be too yeah. uh, offhand and 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 sort of hint that maybe <laughs> RTFM is the correct response here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had customers that just email me over and over and over questions that are literally answered in the wiki and I keep sending them wiki links hoping that they will get the hint. Hey, take 20 mm -hmm. minutes to read through the wiki and it'll solve you two hours of writing emails back and forth. Yeah, that's yeah. something I'm constantly thinking about and working on at Honey Badger is like how you make that information more discoverable to people or, you know, because no one like best all best intentions, like no one, very few people are going to sit down and actually just read through your documentation. They hit, they hit it in different ways and it's like figuring out like where those entry points are and, and the best presentation for it because no one wants to read like a wall of text or something. Yeah. I, I do admit that I'm a fan of the wall of text, but I'm also yeah. a fan of examples. So like 
too many people try to explain how something works rather than mm-hmm. actually giving you examples of, you know, sample code and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. always places where Sidekick's documentation, documentation can be improved. But I also take pride in the fact that the wiki is pretty good and, and yeah. peppers examples everywhere. So people understand uh, the types of things you can do with the various APIs. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like providing like a lot of, a lot of information, like deep information too. Lately, I've been trying to figure out like, how do you like, cause I think like you can, there's a way to like start with like the simple, you know, the simple information that most people want. And also if you're new to something, you don't want to like, you don't want to deep dive into like the internal like threading, how threading works in Sidekick or something. But I think for the, like the people like, like us, for instance, who have been using Sidekick for eight years and also like maintain integrations with it. Like that's super, that's super useful. If the like creator has written a document specifically for like an integrator, for instance, that like goes through all of those deep internals yeah. and explains them. So I think like well, progressively getting more advanced as people like get into the product or whatever. I mean, at some point it's a losing proposition. Yeah. You're just better off diving into the code, frankly. You know, if you, if you really want to know what this API can do and how it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes diving into the code is, is faster and more reliable because, you know, wiki pages and documentation can get they out of date. Go out of date. Yeah. Totally. So, and people, people give me, uh, have said pretty nice things about the sidekick code base. And, and I've been able, since I've been able to maintain it as a full-time job, I've been able to, to, to keep it clean and refactor where necessary. So yeah. I, I try to, and then there's four Easter eggs peppered through the site. I was going to say my favorite thing about the, the sidekick code base is the, uh, yeah. is that you have, don't you have a flip the tables one in there or something? There's, that's, 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 that's my favorite. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple more. But, uh, yeah, I know yeah, spoilers, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't mention the other ones. You can go, uh, experience them for yourself. But yeah, I've had people, uh, I've had people just literally spelunk through the code for half an hour, an hour, just looking for the Easter eggs, Uh which is nice. Yeah. Well, I have to say like, I even just randomly on the internet, like I think probably I've been exposed to the sidekick code base more than a few times just with people sharing those, uh, those Easter eggs. Cause they'll, you know, drop them on Twitter or on make an issue or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really actually kind of clever from a marketing standpoint, I think. Especially around developers, like developers, like can't stand a mystery, right? So just give them a little bit of a mystery, and and just you'll have them hooked <laughs> forever. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's about bringing joy in a product, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you people all too often entrepreneurs talk about building little bits of joys to make someone smile uh, because it makes them feel good that they're using your product, right? And that's worth its weight in gold. It gives the you goodwill from your users, keeps them happy, and and presumably keeps, uh, keeps them paying for it. So I'm, yeah. I'm uh, doing things like the splash screen, which shows the Sidekick Pro and the sort of old school BBS ANSI mm-hmm. kind of look. Oh, yeah. I love that. Love it's it. one of my favorite things. Is, yeah. is another thing that I, I added and, uh, and people, people love it. I found a guy on DeviantArt to do that. And he had a bunch of ANSI, ANSI art in his uh, mm-hmm. portfolio. And I said, hey, would you, can I pay you like you know, a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars to to do me a, a splash screen that just says Sidekick Pro, and he's like, "Well, I don't, I don't um, charge money for my art, but here I did it for you," and so he just gave it to me. And it turns out this guy is like, he's like the Picasso of ANSI art. Like <laughs> he's well known around the world for this. I had no really? idea who he was, but he just did it for me for free. So it was great. That's amazing. Nice. Yeah. 
the Picasso. Shout out to Roy yeah. Sack. All right. Nice. <laughs> I've always, I've, I thought it would be cool to do a, a, an ANSI honey badger. <laughs> yeah, that's on my bucket list. Put it in your gym installed, man. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Did you all see, uh, was it Twitter that announced that they were, they're going to allow employees to work from home indefinitely now? Like they're just switching to the remote first model. Oh yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah. It should have so, done. We'll should have been, been done years ago. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, why, you wonder why now, are you though, buying, right. why are you, why well, are you buying a million square foot of, of downtown San Francisco office space? I mean, what a waste of money. Mm-hmm. When, when everybody can do their job in front of a computer screen anywhere. Yeah. It makes no sense. Well, I wonder if other companies will, will follow them. I just signed a contract in, in March for a, a desk at a co-working facility. And <laughs> Good timing. That's, prob- that's <laughs> probably not happening anytime soon. Yeah. Um, they, they haven't even opened yet because they keep delaying their opening. Was it a WeWork? It was a central office, which is a local Portland uh, co-working facility. Bringing that back to the topic at hand, have y'all sort of enumerated any sort of policy around COVID and pricing? Uh, you know, if a customer says, hey, we're struggling to make ends meet, you know, do you have a policy uh, around yes. what kind of pricing you, you know, what yep. kind of deals you're willing to work, that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, we got deals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've, there is a- we've decided to, to give six months of service free to anyone that has impact due to COVID. Um, yeah. So we've had a few customers reach out to us and say, you know, all my revenue just has disappeared. And so, yeah, we're happy to help accommodate that. We've had, I would say, less than 10 people take us up on that. Do we have that like implemented in our app? Uh, yep. to... Yeah. So okay, we, awesome. Yeah, we actually added a, we added a thing to our app that when you go, to, if you went to cancel, you would see this message saying, hey, if you need some relief from COVID, just pop us an email and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll take care of that for you. Nice. Yeah. We also added a, uh, a parking account parking feature, right? So that if people need to pause their billing or whatever, they can do that. I don't have anything that uh, mechanical yet, but yeah. uh, I, I've definitely had some customers contact me and ask if they can delay or pause or, you know, get a couple of months relief. And uh, yeah. I've certainly accommodated those requests, but usually on an ad hoc basis, right? I don't necessarily have a, a pure policy. Uh, Someone who contacts me about Sidekick Pro, for instance, is very different mm-hmm. from a customer that's paying me tens of thousands of dollars a year, for instance. So right. all that's kind of based on my own, my own feeling as to, you know, what, what is this customer's, uh, you know, the details of the customer's plate and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. We always like jump to automate that stuff, but I think it, it's in that case, it's a little bit of a premature optimization too, because I mean, you got to think like if it's, if like 10 people have taken us up on it, um, I mean like, yeah, we might've saved, it might've broken even or something, but then there's the cost of maintaining those little bits of code that do things like that into the future, which I often forget about. And that always adds up. So. Yeah. And, you know, knock on wood, like we had a little blip, but like churn isn't really different from what it usually is for the past like month or so. So I don't really know what's up with that. Like we're just kind of sailing along. It's kind of weird, but I'm grateful for it. And hopefully it'll continue. It was really interesting. Like ProfitWell put out a chart and they showed because they they do a lot of, uh, they have a lot of data on SaaS billing because they provide like bare metrics. They provide analytics for Stripe you know, people who are using Stripe to do the recurring billing. So they have a lot of data and they have showed a chart 
that like is up and to the right for every for all their customers and then like COVID happens and there's this dip and then if you keep going in the chart it starts to come back up again mm -hmm. and that's exactly what our chart looked like so, so like, like we're, the we're stock pretty market much, yeah kind of like the, yeah it looks a lot <laughs> like the stock market actually and, oh my uh, gosh now i want to now i want to like overlay a chart of our growth to the stock market <laughs> oh like, that's be interesting the, it's all connected star <laughs> the vt stocks in I'm, gonna, I'm gonna write a book <laughs> How this yeah, and get some of those like pens and pieces of thread and stuff. I'm, and I'm, I'm forecasting the stock market based on our uh, our revenue numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the other way around, but no, I, guess, <laughs> I guess you could do that. When you lose money, you it's really like, lose money. <laughs> right. There you go. It's like that. Um, what was it that um, the octopus that people say could like predict the World Cup or something? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that I was heard of that like, one. Yeah, it's our. We have a SaaS business that predicts the stock market. Yeah. Well, it seems like it seems like there's been a lot of businesses that are starting to come online, and uh, you know, due to the them having to shut down a physical presence, and uh, it seems like you you guys y'all could could get uh, some piece of that, you know. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm glad to hear that uh, you're mostly weathering the storm, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, well, we are getting up there on time. We're having a lot of fun talking. Should we put this one, this one in the books? Rapidly wrap. Okay. So um, this has been a special episode of Founder Quests with Mike Perham. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Thank yeah. you for having me, Star. Yes. And yeah, the other guys had you too. It's okay. Do we want to mention um, uh, where to find Mike online in case anyone is interested in becoming Mike, friends should, with him? What like should people... Friendster friends with him or something? MySpace friends? What, what's your Friendster ID? <laughs> what's, what's your so ICQ my, number? My Twitter ICQ. handle is get a job, Mike. It's a funny joke. <laughs> Trust me. It's a funny dad, dad joke inside. more than anything. But yeah, get a, get a job, Mike, and sidekick.org is my website. Nice. Well, awesome. Um, yeah, and we are Founder Quest. If you want to review us on Apple Podcasts, go for it. And we'd appreciate that. If you are interested in writing for our blog, uh, Honey Badger, go to the honeybadger.io website and click on blog. And then, you know, there's a link to write for us. So just check that out. And oh, are you going there, Mike? You're pointing, you're doing something. Got a cat. Oh, you're petting your cat. I thought cat. you were going to check out a Write For Us page. Nope. I was getting excited. <laughs> okay, well, um, see y'all later and have a great Friday. ThunderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word. You can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.